I'm Geoffrey White, manager of Sydney Observatory, and I'm going to talk to you tonight about what is visible in the sky for the month of November 2008. Of course, this guide is best used with the Australian Sky Guide, produced by Dr Nick Lom, and you can purchase this at the Powerhouse Bookshop or online at www.sydneyobservatory.com. For any night viewing activity, you really need to make yourself quite comfortable and find your cardinal directions. So, wait for sunset, look for the glow of sunset, which is of course roughly due west. Use that to orient yourself for the positions of the compass, north, east, south and west. Clearly you'd like to be on a higher position as possible, away from any bright street lights and a clear view. A comfortable rug and a pillow to keep warm and look up and enjoy the sky. November is one of these difficult months where we're in between the, the winter Milky Way and the summer Milky Way, but if you stay up long enough you will be able to see a bit of both. The first thing to note is towards the west shortly after sunset you'll see one of the more famous of the zodiac constellations setting in the west and that is of course Scorpius. Now many people call it Scorpio but in astronomy we stick by its correct name of Scorpius. It was of course created to attack the giant hunter Orion and a little later we can actually see Orion rising in the eastern sky. These two constellations placed in the sky will never be seen together. Of course the important thing to remember about constellations is that they are simply well, suburbs in the sky. Just like we use a suburb or a map for a particular city to help locate the general position of something, constellations, of which there are 88, do pretty much the same thing. Some of the constellations are more famous than others simply because at certain times of the year the sun, the moon and the planets pass through them. Looking west shortly after sunset you'll be able to see the hook-like tail of Scorpius setting in the west. It's a very large constellation but we're pretty much at the end of the viewing season for it. Just above it, however, you will actually be able to see a group of stars that looks, well, I'd have to say something like a teapot. According to traditional mythology that we now use for the sky, it represents the half-man, half-horse centaur of Sagittarius. But to be honest, most people who look at this group of stars can quite easily make up a, a simple image of a teapot. And that's actually something that we've always got to remember. When we look into the night sky and look at dots, we are reliant upon our imagination to join the dots and make the pictures for us. If you try to see those elaborate drawings that you've seen on star charts and on maps, it simply doesn't work. Constellations, all the stars are in fact just random points of light and we use our imagination to join the dots to make simple pictures to help us as a form of memory aid. So, looking towards the west, we're trying to see the hook-like tail of the scorpion rising up into the sky and just above that we should be able to see the beautiful, well, teapot shape of Sagittarius half-man, half-horse. Sagittarius, Scorpius and then Capricornus, these are of course famous for being part of the zodiac. These are the, the path of the animals where we look for the planets and we can find those at varying times of the year moving along the imaginary line of the ecliptic. Coming back up from Sagittarius, the, the teapot shape, we have the first of the so-called water signs, Capricornus, the sea goat. Now Capricornus, if you're looking, looking towards the, the west, looks pretty much like a, a triangle, a fairly large triangle with a slightly bent hypotenuse. 
once again, you've got to use your imagination. I actually think it looks a bit more like the badge from a Star Trek cast member. But uh, maybe just best to leave it as a triangle with a bent hypotenuse. According to legend, this represents the god Pan. Pan was on a picnic with a whole bunch of other gods, including Jupiter, when they were attacked by the mighty demon Typhon. Pan did the obvious thing and panicked and started to run away. He thought he'd change into a fish and swim to safety, but he got halfway through the change from his goat form and thought, well, he'd better go back and help assist Jupiter, which he did by playing a, a very awful note, I suppose, from his pan pipes, which distracted Typhon, allowed Jupiter to gain the upper hand, and Jupiter won the battle. As a reward for his bravery, Jupiter placed uh, the goat as it was, half goat, half fish, into the sky, as we see him now. Capricornus the sea goat, and this is a story that dates back to the, the ancient times of Babylon, so it's a very, very old constellation. Wrapped around Capricornus is a group of stars that's actually quite difficult to see, and that is uh, Aquarius, the water carrier. But just to the south of Capricornus, we should be able to see one of the brightest stars, Fomalo. Fomalo means the solitary one, because it's in the part of the sky that is, well, quite lacking in bright stars. It's a young star, and it represents the brightest star in the constellation of Pisces Astrinus, the southern fish. Now, while you're lying on, the, on your back and looking up, to me, Fomalo looks more like a paisley swirl from some of those dreaded 1970s ties than just about anything else. But if you can see anything that looks like a, a paisley swirl, that is, of course, the southern fish, Pisces Astrinus, not to be confused with the zodiac star sign of Pisces. If you go from Fomalo and head straight down towards the south, and you will need a very clear view of the south to be able to see it, we're just about to lose the Southern Cross for the next few months. Sadly, the Southern Cross is not visible from most of Australia in the earlier parts of the evening, uh, throughout November, December and onwards, but you can just catch a glimpse of it, or certainly perhaps the pointers a little bit to, towards the west. The Southern Cross is, of course, circumpolar for most of us on the latitude of roughly 33 degrees south, which includes the major cities of Sydney, Adelaide and Perth. But it comes so close to the horizon that any nearby large buildings or trees or even pollution glow will make them disappear. And this is quite intriguing because, as a result, a lot of Australians confuse the Southern Cross for one of the false constellations of the Diamond Cross, or the False Cross, which is an asterism made up of stars from the constellations of Carina uh, and Layla. So the Southern Cross itself is not easily visible at this time of year unless you wait for early in the morning, perhaps 3 to 4 a.m. But at the moment, let's stick to the earlier part of the evening, just after sunset. If we head further around from the south, where the Southern Cross is probably not going to be visible from your location, you will start to see one of the more famous constellations coming up in the east, and that is, of course, the mighty hunter Orion. Orion is perhaps uh, famously known as, in Australia as the saucepan. It's not an easy time of year and not the best time of year to see Orion, so perhaps we'll leave him for a little bit later, perhaps for next month, for December. But you may just be able to pick out the group of stars that most Australians refer to incorrectly as the saucepan. It's part of a much larger constellation called Orion the Hunter.
Next door to Orion and ever so slightly towards the north, you'll be able to see the start of the constellation of Taurus the Bull. You may not be able to see all of it at this stage, but you're certainly going to be able to start to see a small group of stars clustered together called the Pleiades. The Pleiades are an intriguing group of stars because right around the world they're referred to as the Seven Sisters. We don't know why. From ancient Greek and Roman culture to Aboriginal culture and certain parts of Asia, they're all referred to as the Seven Sisters. Why not perhaps in Australia the Seven Kangaroos are hopping or the Seven Hills of Rome or something like that? But strangely enough, right around the world, Seven Sisters. They represent the daughters of Atlas, who carried the world upon his shoulders, and his wife, Pleione. This is perhaps one of the best examples of an open cluster. Open clusters are groups of young stars, and actually quite pretty to look at through a pair of binoculars. The problem with binoculars, however, is that it's very difficult to hold them still. You either need to put them onto a tripod, or to wedge them against the side of a building or a tree. There are other open clusters and interesting objects through binoculars, and you're best to scan around the, the deep south of the Milky Way near the bright star of Canopus, which was located roughly in the, the southeast, halfway between the cross, uh, due south, and Orion coming up in the east. So find the very bright star in the south southeast, Canopus, Scan it along the Milky Way if it's visible at the time of month you're looking, because if the moon is up, you won't be able to see it. But if you can scan that part of the Milky Way with binoculars, there is a wealth of objects to be found. If we continue around past Orion, as I've just mentioned, and Taurus the Bull, and look almost due north, you may be actually able to see a group of stars that, once again, if you use your imagination and join the dots, makes up a very large square. This is the great square of Pegasus, the flying horse. Pegasus has a fairly short set of front legs, in fact they're laughingly small, but he has a very long and graceful neck and going down to the, the nose. It is relatively easy to make up a horse as long as you remember he's got incredibly small legs. Pegasus is uh, on the border, if you like, against one of the more famous northerly constellations of Andromeda and right between the two, on a clear night, away from the sea lights, you may just be able to pick up a, a slight distant fuzz. This is actually the, the most distant object you can see with the naked eye. It is the uh, M31, the great galaxy in Andromeda. A lot of people will tell you it's the closest galaxy to us, at over 2 million light years away, but that's not true. There are several which are closer, and two of which that we get a very good view of in the southern hemisphere at this time of year. They look like slightly detached parts of the Milky Way that have drifted away. They are the large and the small Magellanic clouds, and once again you'll find those towards the southeast. You need to wait a little bit later in the evening to see these, however. So, for November, if it's clear, we may be able to see up to three galaxies. The large Magellanic Cloud at 160,000 light-years away, the small Magellanic Cloud at 200,000 light-years away, and the great galaxy in Andromeda, quite low towards the northeast, at over 2 million light-years. Remember, a light-year is simply the distance that light travels in one year. For the month of November 2008, there's actually a lovely view towards the western sky shortly after sunset. 
very early in the month, you'll be able to see a dazzlingly bright planet Venus right on the border of the constellations of Scorpius and Sagittarius. When we see Venus in this position, we obviously call it the evening star. The important thing to remember is, of course, for, especially for when talking to children, is that it is not a star, but just a very bright object. It is, of course, a planet. Oh, by the way, the word planet, which comes from planetaea, simply means wandering star. Because in the past, people didn't understand what these objects were. They just looked like stars, but they changed position. So, for the month of November 2008, we can see Venus low in the western sky shortly after sunset. And as the month progresses, it actually gets closer and closer to the planet Jupiter. Two bright planets close together in the western sky after sunset. It's a lovely view, whether it just be the naked eye or through binoculars, or indeed if you go to an observatory such as Sydney Observatory. Now for the month of November 2008, the phases of the moon are as follows. Thursday the 6th of November will be the first quarter moon. Now the period between the first quarter and the full moon on the Thursday the 13th is actually the best time to look at it if you have a small telescope or a good pair of binoculars. But once again, if you use binoculars, you must mount them sturdily, otherwise the view is quite dizzying. The reason it's the best time to look, and not full moon, as people often suspect, is that you can actually see lots of shadows. The shadows highlight the details. You can see craters, you can see mountains, you can see valleys. It really is a spectacular view. I think a lot of people underestimate the beauty of the moon through a small optical device. So the best time is between first quarter, when you can see half, and just up to and before full moon, which is on the 13th. Last quarter, when you can actually see half of the moon and it rises about midnight, will be on Thursday the 20th of November, and new moon, of course, will be on Friday the 28th of November. Remember, the best time to look is not at the full moon, but a few days either side. Once again, this has been Geoffrey White for Sydney Observatory talking to you about the night sky for November 2008. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at www.sydneyobservatory.com.